0: Yo, 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 yo. What's good, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back. Oh, boy. So Super Bowl Sunday was good. Like I said on the previous episode, I'm glad to be back. Welcome back. Welcome back. So Super Bowl Sunday. uh, We're going to obviously talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to recap the Super Bowl and so forth um, from both sides. Obviously, the Rams, the winning team. Congratulations to the Rams on being, you know, NFL Super Bowl champions. Uh Sean McVay, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford—all those guys. OBJ, uh, the entire Rams organization. Congratulations for, to you guys for winning the Super Bowl and so forth. Uh, that's just another championship for the city for the city of LA. Uh, boy, they—you they, know—they've been racking them up as far as championships all across the sports world. Uh, but the Rams—that's the end of the NFL season. Uh, I feel I feel a slow shift into the NBA season going you know going in the second half of the back end of the NBA season. Obviously we got some draft content, obviously the NFL all season that we got to talk about. Just so much going on. So I do want to talk about a multitude of things um surrounding. Hopefully I can get to some NBA today, but if I can't get to some NBA in today's episode, it will certainly be on the next episode. But You can certainly ensure that we're going to talk about the Super Bowl recap and so forth, like I said, from both perspectives, both sides. Uh, And then, obviously, there's some stories out there, some NFL stories that's really uh, interesting, like Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, um, his future uh, in Arizona, and, you know, possibly him wanting a contract extension and so forth. So we're going to get into a little bit of everything Um, first and foremost, I'm your highly and favorite host, highly and humble favorite host, humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah at Isaiah Kid Podcast. Um, shouts out to everybody listening. Shouts out to all the first time listeners, shouts out to all the second time, or I should say the last time listeners, second time listeners, the regular listeners. Uh, shouts out if you're just listening, shouts out to you. Greatly appreciate it. You uh, you know, stopping by and uh, you know, supporting the content and so forth. So let's start uh the super bowl the super bowl uh obviously the rams won 23 to 20 uh in a in a really a defensive type of game obviously there were some big plays here and there but the final score is what I kind of figured the final score would be around the 20s the mid 20s uh i thought it would be very difficult for cincinnati to you know, continuously move the ball methodically up the field given their offensive line struggles and then their matchup facing the Rams defensive line. I just thought it was a – I just thought from the trenches – from a trenches standpoint, it was a total mismatch. And I know people – there's a lot of variables that go into this, and I know people – especially like Cincinnati fans or people that was rooting for Cincinnati – I know they're pointing the fingers heavily towards the referees and so forth and officiating and and we can, we, it seems like any type of big game, big game situation and, you know, some calls may go a different direction. It it seems like we already we always have this discussion of officiating and these flags and so forth. The Cooper cup, let's, and I'm just going to tackle it simply. I'm going to tackle it head on the Cooper cup. Those two penalties on Cooper Cup on that on the Rams' last last offensive drive, those are clearly penalties. Now, granted, were those penalties getting called all day long? No. Typically in big games, we know this. If you you've been if you've been watching sports long enough, you know that in big games, in big situations, official officials, usually the officials swallow the whistle. Then they they're they're not prone to throw or call as many flags or fouls or whatever, whatever sport it is. Typically, officials let the players decide the outcome, right? But in a big situation of that magnitude, final drive, drive, the Rams potentially final drive of the game with a potential to take the lead, and a linebacker is holding the best player on the field, Cooper Cup, it like the the refs, they, like officials, have no choice but to call that. And, and you, if you look at the replay, it, it's obvious. The if you look at the replay, it's obvious. It's a holding call. There should be no ifs, ands or buts about whether or not that was the right flag. Now, some people may not like the time it had came, and some people may feel that the the officiating was a bit. Uh, I don't know inconsistent at times, regardless, it was called, it was the right call that should have been made. And the inconsistency, we we, we got to We can't, everything is not perfect. And the officiating job, the being a referee, especially in a big time situations like big time situation like this, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. So I'm not, I, I don't, I, I hate when we do that. I hate when we blame the officiating. The official, like, no, 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 no. Cincinnati had a linebacker on Cooper Cup. We don't talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about how Cincinnati, the Bengals ended up having Cooper Cup or had a linebacker lined up and guarding and defending, covering, trying to cover Cooper Cup, which is clearly a hold. And then the last play, uh, the touchdown, Eli Apple was on Cooper Cup. Eli Apple... Regardless, uh, Wuzie gets hurt and so forth, so Eli Apple becomes like the de facto number one DB, so he has to take on Cooper Cup. But Eli Apple, at best, he's maybe a third corner, it, it, like on your depth chart. He so there was just mismatch everywhere, but that's what happens. It, it injuries happen, miscalls happen, unfortunes happen in these type of games. That's ultimately it, it takes a lot of luck not only being a really good team and not only being and having great players and talented players, but it takes a lot of luck and fortune. And if we want to be honest, it typically when you look at these big games, it, it usually comes down to your best players and the other team's best players. And the Rams' best players played better, simply. That's point-blank period. Point-blank period. The Bengals, don't you know the Bengals only had three drives of more than 26 yards? Three drives. The Bengals had 12 possessions in the Super Bowl. They punted six times. Six times. But out of their 12 possessions offensively that they had, they only had three of those possessions. That went for more than twenty-six yards, and if you want to talk about missed calls, how about we talk about the seventy-five-yard play that T. Higgins got away with, clearly grabbing Jalen Ramsey's face mask, which gave which which gave the Bengals the lead. What if that's what, what like so when 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 Cincinnati or fans or when people that was rooting for the Bengals when they bring up those two calls. That that went up against, and you know the holding calls versus Cooper Cup. When Bengals fans bring that up, all you gotta do is bring up the seventy-five yard play that T. Higgins got away with. That was that was one of their biggest plays of the game. Their their biggest play of the game, seventy-five yard touchdown, and T. Higgins clearly clearly grabs Jalen Ramsey's face mask. Didn't get called. Didn't get called. But I think the story of this game. Like I said, the trenches, the play in the trenches, really from both teams, both defensive lines played well. The Rams could not manufacture any type of running game. And then obviously, I think a lot of people guess that the Rams defensive line would have their way with Cincinnati's offensive line, which has been horrible throughout this this postseason it's been a it's it was horrible and this and go, to go up against this defensive line was the worst possible matchup for the Bengals especially with their offensive line struggles but you tip like i said typically in these big games you look at your best players and you look at the other team's best players and typically those guys show up the team that win their best players play better than the other team's best players Top to bottom, Matt Stafford. Given given all of the complications with you know, Matt Stafford didn't have no Tyler Habey, who who was second in the team in catches. Uh, he had no Odell Beckham early on. Odell Beckham with the with the Bengals double covering and bracket covering, Cooper Cup, that gave OBJ one on one matchups that he could win. And OBJ, I mean, in, in you know, he got hurt early on, but. In his short stint, he had two catches for 52 yards and a touchdown. So it seemed as if OBJ was going to be the, the, the piece, that the moving piece, the chess piece that could exploit one-on-one matchups. He got he was gone. So you take away, you take away Tyler Habee, no OBJ, and you're only left with Vance Jefferson, obviously Cooper Cup, and then a rookie wide receiver that's rarely played this year. <laughs> That's really played this year. And Matt Stafford played pretty decent. He played pretty well. Matt Stafford played pretty well. Matt Stafford played pretty well. Like I said, I mentioned, the Rams had no run game. With to Like, no run game. No, They couldn't manufacture anything on the ground. Cooper Cup played well. Von Miller played well, obviously. Aaron Donald played well. The Rams superstars played better than the Bengals superstars. They did. The Rams superstars played better than the Bengals superstars. Joe Burrow didn't have the greatest day. Kind of fig- I kind of figured it would go that way because it's so much onus to put on your quarterback when, you're, when your offensive line is just getting power drive every single play. Every single play. The, the, the Rams, they're just killing, the, the defensive line is just killing your offensive line. The Rams had the highest pass rush win rate out of any team this season. In that game, in that game, they had the highest pass rush win rate of any team this season. Joe Burrow, he got sacked six times in the final 30 minutes of that game. Six times. And then Aaron Donald's special. Aaron Donald's special. He completely took over the game. Um, I thought he had a legitimate, I thought he had a pretty strong case for winning Super Bowl MVP. Uh, he definitely put a, he put together a, a good enough game in order to do that. Cooper Cup was the offensive player. He had two touchdowns. He scored the game with a touchdown. So, you know, I, I I'm not going to argue with that. Um, the Rams—they had—they tied a Super Bowl record with seven sacks. So, like, I, I'm not gonna argue with that at all. But when I'm looking at the the like the deciding factors of this game, Cincinnati fans, and I know they don't want to hear this, but and in Cincinnati they had a great run. I think this team has a, a bright future ahead of them. Uh, and I'm gonna talk more about Cincinnati and their run uh, later on soon, but that's really what it came down to. I'm not gonna. I'm not here to talk about all the penalties and the officiating. No, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to break down football. And what happened was Cincinnati, as I expected, they got exposed in the trenches, up in the trenches with the big guys with the meat and potatoes. They got exposed they got exposed. And I kind of figured I kind of figured that would happen that way because look at their offensive line. Their offensive line is horrendous. They need that that obviously needs to be fixed. And then from the Rams perspective, the Rams all year long have been battling injuries, being able to overcome certain situations. That's what this Rams season has been about. Overcoming just injuries so like just overcoming new new acquiring pieces and I gotta give it to Matt Stafford at the beginning of the season even before the season started I said the the player not the quarterback I said the play the one single player this year that has the most pressure on him to deliver was Matthew Stafford and it's because for all those years in Detroit, we talked about how talented he was. You would hear the quarterback gurus talk about how talented he was, and that's all we've heard about Matthew Stafford. And I, and I, I'm a big supporter of Matthew Stafford. I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him his. I'm gonna talk about him in his segment, or I'm gonna give him a segment soon as well. But I I said Matthew Stafford going into this year was the player. He was the one single player that had the most pressure on. Him. Talked about his talent. We talk about how talented he is. He's he's now meshed up with Sean McVay in a functional and aggressive front office with a really strong roster with a chance to win a Super Bowl. He delivered in year one, so I gotta give Matthew Stafford his props. Gotta give him his props for that. And I'm gonna talk more. Like I said, I'm gonna talk more about it. But if like people that watch the Rams all throughout the year, that's all they've been doing. Has been. They've been overcoming situations, overcoming new players, new acquisitions, overcoming just all all sorts of things throughout the season. I remember. I think their their one one of their most impressive wins this year was versus Arizona at Arizona. This game was very pivotal uh, because it was a very pivotal division game because Arizona was still kind of rolling, and the Rams were starting to pick it up a little bit. Uh, and it was after that stretch where they had lost to Tennessee. The Rams had a couple head scratching losses, but granted, for grant, granted, the Rams Monday Night Football went into Arizona without Jalen Ramsey, without a couple of key guys, without Andrew Whitworth, and they went into they went into Arizona and they they put the beat down on Arizona. That was I found that to be one of their more impressive victories, and that's where I think the this Rams team kind of turned the corner, even. Even later down the stretch of the season where they had some tight, nail-biting wins versus Baltimore and Minnesota. Matthew Stafford, despite those turnovers in those games, he came up clutch down the stretch. And I think that's what helped them prepare for playoff football. And then the last three games that they have won the postseason, all, all of them have been close games winning by three points. This was a good this Rams team was a good situational football team and it's no surprise that they were a good football they were a good situational team because Sean McVay absolutely knows what he's been doing. I've been calling Sean McVay one of I've been calling him the best young coach in football. The best young coach in football. That's what I've been calling Sean McVay literally since I've started this podcast. I've been calling him the best coach in football, the best young coach in football. And with this Super Bowl victory, I kind of think it cements and solidifies that statement <clears throat> so let me get let me get the Matthew Stafford. I want to get to Matthew Stafford uh I'm gonna get the Matthew Stafford, and then I'm gonna talk about Cincinnati and their run uh and what I think about it, right? So first with Matthew Stafford, <clears throat> as I've mentioned already. Going into the season, prior to the season even starting, I said this prior to the season starting. I think I I probably have I probably said this after the trade was done, but definitely going into the season, before the before the regular season started, I said Matthew Stafford is the player with the single most pressure on him this year. I didn't I didn't say quarterback. I said player. I thought he was the player with the most pressure on him because we always have raved about his talent. And quite frankly, rightfully so, because he's a very talented guy. But at Georgia, he was talented. He was number one. He was number one recruit out of high school. He was the number one draft pick, number one college, number one college player. Like he's been number one everywhere. Every every step. Of his career, he's been number one because he's just that talented. Ends up in Detroit. Obviously, we know what happened in Detroit. He gets to LA. And like I said, we've been talking about his talent, talking about his talent constantly, continuously. And I was like, now this is the time to put it all together. Talent, you got the coaching, you had the offense, you had the weapons, you had the defense, you got a functional front office, an aggressive, Front office that's willing to do anything to get over the top and spend amount. It's and spend. They they spend crazy amounts of money. This was the time for Matthew Stafford to get over the top, but even in a bigger in a bigger and let's have a bigger conversation. This goes to show you Matthew Stafford. I think is a pristine example. He's a perfect example of where you land in the NFL matters. And it ultimately more times than not dictates the success that you have. That's Matthew Stafford. He is the perfect, clear, perfect example of that. Matthew, like I said, Matthew Stafford, every step of his football career, he's been number one and talent has never been an issue. But he lands in Detroit. Mind you, Detroit is probably, arguably, the worst football franchise in the league. Like, Detroit was a... a, They were a dumpster fire prior to Matthew Stafford, and I would assume that they're going to probably be a dumpster fire after Matthew Stafford. And for years, Matthew Stafford never was hot-headed, never was cocky, never got over. No, 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 no. Matthew Stafford stood it. He took it like a pro, and he's just been a baller and a baller and a baller for years. He has his chance to get out of Detroit. He takes it. The Detroit front office, they respect him so much that they trade him within the NFC. Usually, teams, if, a, if you're a good player, and a team wants—they don't usually trade you within the conference. They usually don't. You usually don't see that. Usually, they shoot. They usually send you to the opposite conference so they don't have to match up and play you a lot. No, no, no. They sent him to the. To, they they traded him to a team in their conference that was contending. That's how much respect Detroit front office have for Matthew Stafford. And now, and just in one year, in one year. Matthew Stafford, four playoff wins, Super Bowl champion. He's coming off a really great year. He had a great year this year, 4,800 passing yards with 41 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. And now there's people clamoring for Matthew Stafford as a future Hall of Famer. Now, granted. I think Matthew Stafford, you look at his you look at his um his all-time passing records and numbers um they do look like Hall of Fame numbers. And if if he continues on this trajectory as far as statistically, he will be you will see Matthew Stafford's name high up on a lot of passing records. You will. You'll see him on a, you'll see him high up on a lot of passing uh rankings. But Matthew Stafford's not a Hall of Famer yet. Not a Hall of Famer yet. And I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to rain I don't want to piss on his parade because he is a Super Bowl champion and I give him credit for that. Because I, I and cuz I I said all throughout the year and prior to the season I said he got the most pressure. He got to do it. He got to do it. Because getting to the Super Bowl or not even reaching the Super Bowl was a failure because Jared Goff did that. Jared Goff got to the Super Bowl. So if we're saying Matthew Stafford's an upgrade, Matthew Stafford got to win it all. That was my approach. If we're saying Matthew Stafford's an upgrade, he got to win it all because Jared Goff got there. So getting there or falling short of getting to the, or reaching, reaching the Super Bowl was unacceptable and a failure. Matthew Stafford did it. He cashed in, and that is a that is the that is a perfect example of where you land matters. Where you land matters. There's a couple of, there's there's a couple of exceptions where guys are just so talented enough where they're where they're able to just uplift their their franchises and make them comparable. I.e. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck went into a bad situation in Indianapolis. And Indianapolis, they got to the AFC Championship game and they kept like they just kept advancing throughout the playoffs year by year by year. And by year three and four, Indianapolis found themselves, Andrew Luck, they found themselves in the AFC Championship game where they had no business to be at. But Andrew Luck was that talented where he like he led them there. But Matthew Stafford, I like him a lot. And I think his numbers, you look at his numbers, where you're just looking at his numbers. And you look at his trajectory of his numbers and his stats, it says, it, it says Hall of Famer. It rings Hall of Famer. But I'm going to tell you guys right now, even with the Super Bowl, Matthew Stafford is not a Hall of Famer. Not quite yet. Not quite yet. And you guys know my rule on the, on the Hall of Fame. You guys know how I see and how I feel about the Hall of Fame in any sport. It's the Hall of Fame should be should be preserved for the elite of the elite. And I think Matthew Stafford, his talent is Hall of Fame worthy. His talent is elite. His stats, in the trajectory of his stats, it could be, it, it's definitely going to be, it's probably going to be Hall of Fame worthy. But he, he's only made one Pro Bowl. He has no MVPs. He has no no all pros. There's not enough accolades for me. I need to I need to see him build up some more accolades before I definitively say he's a Hall of Famer. Because if we're saying Matt, if we're saying Matthew Stafford's a Hall of Famer with one Pro Bowl, zero all pros, zero MVPs, and yeah, he has a Super Bowl. I don't want to overlook that and you know just grace over that. I don't want to overlook that. But if we're saying Matthew Stafford's a Hall of Famer, then Matt Ryan's a Hall of Famer. Matt Ryan, you, at, you look at Matt Ryan and his trajectory of his stats, they're going to be pretty good. Matt Ryan, he's, he has an MVP award, but I don't think Matt Ryan's an MVP. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, and I don't think Matthew Stafford's a Hall of Famer. So, I see some people saying Matthew Stafford's Hall of Famer, and... I, I think he's approaching that. I think let's let's see him finish out these next 3-4 years, you know, and, and hopefully he can add some uh, some accolades or another ring maybe. But I can't call him a Hall of Famer right now. I can't. Because he has no accolades. He, we we never we, ne- we there hasn't been a year of Matthew Stafford's career where we have acknowledged that he was a, the best quarterback. In football that there hasn't been a year where we have acknowledged that about matthew stafford and i say that respectfully because he's a really talented guy his talent like i said his talent is very hall of fame worthy his talent equals hall of fame but now you got to put together the accolades and the rest of the stuff and he doesn't have the accolades one pro bowl one cut it no all pros no mvps uh I I I can't I can't call him a, I can't call him a Hall of Famer with only one Pro Bowl. Only one Pro Bowl. No, I can't call him a Hall of Famer. I can't. And I feel like that's where when we and when we start doing that, when we start lowering our standards for the Hall of Fame, then a bunch of guys get in and then the, and that turns the Hall of Fame into like the Hall of very good. And it doesn't. It does. It just doesn't. It just doesn't hold the same prestige as it, as it as it, as it would if we kept the elite and the very good separate. Because Matthew Stafford, I think you're looking at his judging his career. He's been very good. I don't know if he's been elite. Like I said, I think he has a chance for the Hall of Fame. I want to see how these next three, four, five years play out. But we can't can't turn the Hall of Fame into the Hall of Very Good. We can't. And I like Matthew Stafford a lot. Like I said, I I commend him for the season that he's had. He delivered. and And he delivered. He was clutch. He was clutch. But not Hall of Famer yet. He's not a Hall of Famer yet. No. So, I'm going to be back after this quick break really quickly. I'm going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. Hopefully, we can get into some Kyler Murray news. I'm going to talk about that as well. Uh, and, you know, maybe some NBA. I'll be, back after, I, I'll be back after this quick break. Okay, so that's my take on Matthew Stafford. Like I said, I think he had a great season this year. Uh, obviously, finished it off the way that, you know, Rams fans and the Rams organization and Matthew like. It was all intended, Super Bowl champions, right? But Hall of Fame, uh, like you know, solidify. No, 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 no. I don't think he has a solidify. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer yet. Um, yeah, gotta con- you know continue to build on accolades. Like I said, it should be. It's the Hall of Fame should be preserved for the elite of the elite. But let's shift gears to um, the Cincinnati Bengals and their right? Um, and with Cincinnati, and, and and please preface my comments. Like, come on, let's let's please preface my comments before I, when I say this. I think Joe Burrow is awesome. Uh, I think there was there was a bit of a media hype train that was going behind Joe Burrow and so forth, um, uh, uh, and, and maybe a little bit prematurely. And I I understand it. You know, Cincinnati is one of the more dysfunctional and cheap organizations in football. But this, you look at their roster; they have a lot of they have a lot of really good players. So let's let's not get it misunderstood. But what I do understand is with the Joe Burrow situation and story is it's first a good story, but then you look at the mere fact that he's a number one pick, he's an Ohio kid. Cincinnati has been, you know. Not I'm not gonna say horrible for years, but they just been in this this in between stage of, you know, being good enough, but not winning playoff games, not being able to win the big games, you know, failing to win the big games. And Joe Burrow, obviously he didn't win the big game like the Super Bowl, but the mere fact that they got there for the first time in thirty one years, um, like it's it's, a, it's an amazing it's ama- it's an amazing accomplishment for the Bengals and Joe Burrow, and I like I said I think this young core that they have with especially with Burrow and Chase, uh, Jamar Chase I should say, uh, T Higgins, Tyler, like I think they have something I think this nucleus can be really potent offensively, but let's be that let's be clear, and that's what, and this is why I said preface my comments. Cincinnati this year, the Bengals feel like a good story. It's a good story. And in sports, you see it all throughout sports, really good stories. Good stories that fans and the media, it's easy to wrap your arms around, and it's easy to gravitate towards because it's such a good story. Now. The Patriots' 20-year dynasty, I continue to give credit where credit is due because I don't think people realize and understand how difficult year in, year out to constantly, to consistently make it to this point or make it deep into the playoffs. It is so difficult. It's so hard in such a salary cap, in such a salary strap league like the NF. It's so hard. Because players get better, players outplay, they they outperform their contract, then you gotta sign them. And the the salary and the finances, it's just all too much and complicated to keep up with. And you can't keep everybody, and that's where the nucleus kind of breaks apart and so forth. And you know, if you don't have a good if you don't have a good front office, sometimes and it's not even about like sometimes your front office makes a decision to either keep a guy or let a guy walk. And it just messes up the whole just camaraderie of the team, right? So that's why I give the Patriots dynasty, their 20-year dynasty, a lot of props and credit. I respect it so much. But when people say, oh, yeah, let's see Cincinnati run it back. or well, what's Cincinnati's chances to run it back next year? I'm like, first of all, this Bengals team, like I said, they got they got they got some talented players, in some spots, but this Bengals team, they were just a year ago, they were last in their division, and for this year, they lost eight games. They lost eight games this year, so this team was flawed, and it wasn't heavenly flawed, but I think their flaws were major. And one of those flaws, like I said, I'm going to continue to point it out, is their offensive line. You usually, I'm surprised they got this far, but you're usually not supposed to get this far into the playoffs and making and reaching the Super Bowl with an offensive line of that caliber. You usually don't see that happening. But let's run it down. Let's first look at how Cincinnati won their division because the AFC North, has been a pretty competitive and tough division. Pittsburgh, once again, had an anemic offense led by a great defense and great coaching behind Mike Tomlin. And with that, in today's game, in today's league, that can get you only but so far with having a great defense and an offense with a ceiling, with a defined ceiling and a low ceiling at that with Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh, granted, they made the playoffs, but they made the playoffs by the skin of their teeth. And they, they that was just a lot of culture, coaching, and defense that led Pittsburgh to the playoffs. But they were not that good this year. Cleveland under underachieved. Now, Cleveland, I'm not gonna put too much onus on that because it's Cleveland. So they had a great year the previous year, obviously, but then they underachieved. Baker didn't play well. It was just a whole lot of variables. They had some injuries. Oh, obviously, they got COVID uh ravaged so cleveland underachieved this year and then baltimore a, a very similar story i don't i can't really think of a team uh there's a couple other teams that were as injured as baltimore but baltimore is missing just so many key so many key dudes especially down the stretch of the season you know they lost lamar jackson they lost dbs they lost they, their secondary was atrocious this year you know, Baltimore just had so much going on as far as COVID and injuries and players being out. So Baltimore wasn't the same Baltimore that we have been seeing for the past couple of years, basically since Lamar Jackson has taken over as their starting quarterback. We didn't see that Baltimore. So Cincinnati, I'm not trying to and I'm this is not me. Poo-pooing Cincinnati in their season and their run because it was a great run, but I'm just adding context and trying to put some parameters around certain things and to show you guys how fortunate you have to be to reach the Super Bowl. So that was their that was their division. You go into the playoffs, they played the Vegas Raiders at home. The Vegas Raiders, I think Cincinnati was better, and they won. But the Vegas Raiders outgained Cincinnati at home. A home playoff game, the Raiders outgained them. They had more yardage. Just couldn't put the points together, but they had more yardage. Following week, Cincinnati goes to Tennessee. This ten- The Tennessee loss, the, the Titans' playoff loss does not get talked about enough because that same weekend, a couple other juggernauts fail, But the Titans wet the bed. First of all, Derrick Henry coming off of injury. Yes, he was playing, but he was coming off an of injury. He had screws in his foot. And then Ryan Tannehill just absolutely collapsed, had a, had, a, had a catastrophic choke job with three interceptions that basically that basically won the game for Cincinnati. Cincinnati offensively didn't play really great. They only had one touchdown. They had one offensive touchdown. They didn't play great. Tennessee more so wet the bed. Tennessee, their defense had nine sacks. When is the last time you heard a playoff team in a playoff game get nine sacks and get that amount of pressure on a quarterback and lose the game? I can't remember the last time it happened. It happened with Tennessee. They lost the game due to Ryan Tannehill and his catastrophic choke job. It doesn't get talked about a lot because, like I said, that same weekend, a couple other Juggernauts, fail, so the Titans' loss does not get talked about a lot, but it was a bad loss for the Titans. And then the AFC Championship game, Kansas City offensively was perfect in the first half. Cincinnati found themselves down twenty-one to three. Granted, they came back and won the football game, but they were down twenty-one to three, and it took an absolute Fourth quarter, second half meltdown from Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid for Cincinnati to even advance to the Super Bowl. And then we look at even look at the Super Bowl because Cincinnati had a chance to win the game. That was a winnable game for Cincinnati, even though, granted, I thought the Rams were the better team and they proved to be the better team. But that was a very much winnable game for Cincinnati. OBJ, no Tyler Higby. Eric Weddle got hurt early. Rams' running game was just non existent. That game was very much winnable. And due to some, you know, some conservative play calling from Zach Taylor, uh, and then, like I said, the offensive line was, I can't, I don't know how many times I know people are going to get you know, frustrated with me or they might get a little irritated by me because I keep mentioning it, but it, it's such a glaring hole and it was such a difference in the game where I, I can't not I can't mention it. But I say all of that to say Cincinnati was they caught a lot of breaks and throughout this Super Bowl run, they were very, very fortunate. So when I hear people say, oh Cincinnati can run it back, oh Joe Burrow, he'll be back soon. I'm like, hold up, pump the brakes. You look at their regular season, you look at their postseason, it was very fortunate and they caught a lot of breaks. And granted, in order to go that far into the playoffs and reach that point, like the Super Bowl, you have to catch a lot of breaks. but they caught so many damn breaks. So I'm not saying Cincinnati's fraudulent, no. I'm not saying they're, they don't have a nice young core. They do. But I also think I'm also looking at the AFC and how deep it is. The AFC is deep and full of really, really good teams. Kansas City is, is going nowhere. Buffalo is going nowhere. New England is still there. Baltimore with Lamar Jackson will be back. Pittsburgh, I don't think they're going to be mediocre for a long time. The Chargers and Justin Herbert, they're coming. Who knows what Denver might add. So I just look at the AFC as a really deep and competitive division. I mean, conference, excuse me. So when I hear people say, oh, Cincinnati, they'll be back on Joe Burrow, he'll be back. I don't know. I'm not I, I, I'm not ready to say that quite yet. Cincinnati, they felt like you know that, you know, like an NCAA in the NCAA tournament. There's always like a Cinderella team. There's like a there's like a six or maybe seven seed, maybe like a six seed or a seven seed that win a couple tournament games. You know, they win a couple close games. They win a couple buzzer beaters. And they find themselves in like in the final four. That's what Cincinnati kind of feels like. A lot of breaks, a lot of fortune going their way. And yes, they have a nice young core that they can build around. But I'm just, I am just look at the landscape, the rest of the landscape of the AFC, and I'm just not so quick to say that Cincinnati is going to be right on back very soon. I think they got some glaring holes, which is offensive line. Cincinnati, this organization, cannot afford to be cheap when it, when it comes to building and structuring their offensive line. They can't be cheap. Uh, I think Jesse Bates. I think they should pay Jesse Bates. Jesse Bates didn't have the best regular season, but had a wonderful postseason. I think he had a great postseason. So I think with that, just you know, the the Cincinnati, they should re-sign Jesse Bates. Uh, he's a he's a he's a Pro Bowl, All-Pro caliber safety. And then in terms of their offensive line, Cincinnati can't go cheap because historically. They have a tendency to be cheap. Cincinnati cannot go cheap in terms of structuring and building their offensive line. But like I said, I know people don't want to hear it, but in sports, there's a lot of great stories. And these good stories that we often see in sports are very easy to get. Like they're very manipulative. And, they can manipulate your thinking. They can manipulate your thought process. And they're easy to gravitate towards and to hold on to. Because it's a great story. But just because something is a good story doesn't necessarily mean it's sustainable or it has substance or they're going to be back. It's just a good story momentarily. Like I said, Cincinnati, I think they should... Really built their – I think they got a nice – a good pass rush, good front seven. Uh, Obviously, their skill position's really good. They got their quarterback. Cincinnati has the important things. The offensive line is the last vital thing that they're missing. Maybe they can add another corner to that secondary so you won't have situations where you got to put Eli Apple. You got to rely and bank on Eli Apple being – your number one or two DB because he's more of a three or four. He's your third or fourth DB on your death chart. You shouldn't be relying on Eli Apple as your second or your de facto number one defensive back and you're banking on him to make a play versus Cooper Cup, who's had one of the best, one of the best seasons, not just receiving seasons, but seasons ever. Shouldn't be banking on him. To try to make a stop on Cooper Cup. Uh, especially when the game's online. So that's my Cincinnati take. That's you know, I think I think they have a nice young core. Um, it's a good story. But let's see if this thing really has substance. Let's see how they bounce back the following year. Uh let's take that's let's, let's go let's move on to Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals situation. All right, so I haven't had a chance to uh even talk about this Kyler Murray situation. This is more like off season stuff. Uh obviously <clears throat> I made my talked about the Super Bowl um in both sides, like I said. Uh but the Kyler the Kyler Murray story is an interesting one. Um with Kyler, I, so when I talk about the Cardinals, it's typically not in the best fashion. Because over the past couple of seasons, I have realized and recognized a trend of the Cargos where they start the season off hot. Then somewhere in the middle of the season, Kyler gets hurt due to his playing style. Then you see the aggression and they find themselves limping across the finish line to end off the latter part of the regular season. Last year, they didn't make the playoffs. They started off hot, didn't make the playoffs. Uh, this year, they started off really hot. Uh, looked like for the like for the like first eight weeks of football, they look like the best team in in the league for like the first eight to ten weeks. They look like the best team in football for the first eight to ten weeks. Then somewhere in the middle, Kyler gets hurt and you see the regression and then they made it to the playoffs, but then they they don't win a playoff game. They lose in the wild card round to the eventual Super Bowl champions in the LA Rams. So this all started about a week ago where Kyle Murray just you know one day scrubs and erase any Arizona Cardinal affiliation with his social media accounts stop following them and he just scrubs his account the social media and my thought process when I saw that I, like I said I didn't have the opportunity to talk about it because it was all Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, so I didn't want to dwell on that. Uh, I said I'd talk about it as this story continues to develop. Well, boy, a week later, has it continued to develop? So he scrubs his, his social media account. Um, then somebody in front of office calls out Kyler. There is a leak somewhere. In the organization, somewhere in the Arizona Cardinals organization, there's a leak. Somebody's leaking information about Kyler, saying, you know, he, you know, he's a finger pointer, you know, so forth. It doesn't take doesn't take full on, you know, accountability. He's not accountable, right? So that's leak. Someone, someone is leaking that within the organization. Uh, then Kyler fires back. So I just so when I first when this when this story first. Hit everybody. I automatically thought I was like, okay, he's scrubbing his social media account. They're coming off of a a very disappointing playoff loss. I didn't think they were better than the Rams. I predicted them to lose, but in the fashion that they lost, very disappointing for the Cardinals to end the season that way. And if you look at it closely, Kyler Berry, he didn't do that many. He didn't do that. He didn't do that much rushing. Because he, he, Kyler Murray and his, his legs are a big part of what makes him so dynamic. So when you see that he didn't utilize his legs, and you look at his career in the NFL, when Kyler Murray rushes, when he has five or less rushing attempts, he's 0-10-1. He's never won a game with five or less rushing attempts. And... That was that was that was shown that remained true and consistent in the playoff game. He did not run the ball as much in the biggest game of the year, and then he scrubs his social media accounts. I automatically thought he wants an extension. Kyler Murray wants an extension. He wants to be extended. He wants the bag. Now I know some people, some older people. May deem you know this. This is where a generational gap may come in between. Where some older people may say, "Hey, okay, he wants an extension. Why did he have to go on social media and scrub his account and do all that?" And with me being a, a, a Gen Z, being a part of Gen Z, uh, I kind of I'm not gonna say I, I don't. I'm not saying that's the best way to handle a negotiation um or to have or to try to gain any leverage or traction in, in, in terms of a negotiation and a new contract. But typically that's how this generation operates. A lot of it is through social media. So if you are wondering about why did he do that, why did he scrub his account, that's kinda why that's kind of how people tend to operate. And like I said, it's a generational gap thing. So I I completely understand if you don't get it but i'm just here to bring some i guess some understanding if you don't quite understand why he took the social media route and like i said i know a lot of people will vehemently disagree with taking it to social media and taking it to the internet but once again 2022 and the world we live in that's typically how athletes and a lot of people just in general get their point across um so that's what, so i I got it. I get it. I understand it. I'm not saying I support it. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I understand it. I understand the tactic. It's a tactic that a lot of people use, point blank, period. But the Cardinals, I don't think they have much leverage when it comes to trying to battle this thing out with Kyle Uh, Like I said, someone in the organization leaked some... Some some not so nice things about Kyler Murray, uh, about his attitude and so forth. And 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 me myself, I have pointed that out on my podcast before about Kyler Murray and his body language. I sometimes see his body language on the field, and you know, I, I and it's kind of like uh, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of it at all. Uh, when I see him losing, when I see the Cardinals losing, I see his body language. I'm not a huge fan of it at all, but. <clears throat> I don't think that type of information within the organization should be leaked. So I don't get the tactic that the Cardinals are playing right now. And I got a couple, I got a few reasons as to why I think the Cardinals, they, they have no choice, but to extend and give Murray a contract extension. Um, I, I think they have no, I don't think there's much breathing room or much leverage For them to try to play this tick for tack game with Kyler Murray, the first let me give you—I got—I got a couple—I got a a few reasons, and I think they're valid. The first reason is this: the Cardinals, when they drafted Kyler, they were a dumpster fire, and they over the past couple of years they have properly, I would say, constructed and built their roster and their franchise around Kyler Murray. So for you not to want to give him an extension, would much. it wouldn't make much sense to most of the investments that you've made to your roster. That's, that's point one. Point two, Kyler continues on a year-to-year basis. He continues to get better. And with him getting better, the team gets better. And when I mean the team gets better, I mean you guys win more. <laughs> Year one. Year one, the Cardinals went five and ten and one. Year two, eight and eight. Year three, nine and five. Kyler Murray this year, his record was nine and five. The Cardinals finished eleven and six. If I if I'm not mistaken, I think they finished eleven and six. Um, that was the Cardinals' record. So year by year by year, and you made the playoffs this past year. Kyler gets better and progresses each year, and as his progression takes a leap and increases. Your wins increase. So there's a linear partnership that you guys have. <laughs> there there's some correlation. As he gets better, you get better. There's correlation there. And then with Kyler, lastly, you play in the NFC West. <laughs> you two two of your division opponents made the NFC Championship game this past year. The Rams are Super Bowl champions. The 49ers look to have a contending team for years to come, and they're not going anywhere. And then obviously, okay, Seattle, we'll see what happens with Russell Wilson in the future and Pete, Pete Curl and so forth. We'll see what happens with Seattle. But you have two legit contenders in your team, in your division. In order for you to, to stay afloat and being able to compete with those teams, Kyler Murray must be on your roster. <laughs> so so and, and, and like I said, I think Kyler, it, you know, like I said, I, I've pointed out some of the things, um, some of the character things that I don't like and that I see as far as his body language and how sometimes he carries himself. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, and it's and, and it's usually when they're losing. Um, so that shows me he's a, a feisty competitor, but may, maybe some people may take that as a, maybe he's a sore loser or crybaby or of, of, of sort, right? So I, I get that. I get that. I do. But it's drama that you have to put up with because he's that good and he's that valuable to your franchise. Like, I'm not huge on you guys know I'm not huge on Aaron Rodgers and his attitude and how he goes about certain things and what he says about certain things, but the Packers like they have to put up with it because he's it's Aaron Rodgers. He has to put you have to put up with it. I and I, I think there's a there's a lot of quarterbacks that I think we you know got there's an, every quarterback is not going to be Dak Prescott. Every quarterback is not going to be Patrick Mahomes. Every quarterback is, isn't going to be this high-character guy and, you know, all smiles and say all the right things. Like, you, did you see how Dak handled his contract situation? Every no, Nothing on social media. Dak let his representatives talk for him. It wasn't none of that. But every quarterback, we can't expect every guy, every quarterback to be that way. So you're going to have your, your Kylers and your Aaron Rodgers as, as erratic as behaviors that, that they may show, especially with Aaron Rodgers. Like, in the attitude, sometimes it's worth the headache. It's worth the headache. And with the Cardinals, without Kyler Mary, you are a dumpster fire. You are a dumpster fire. And I feel like this Kyler and this Arizona Cardinals situation is very strange. It, it, it's uh, this rift that they have that just it seemed like it came out of nowhere. This rift that they have is very strange. The rift between the front office and Kyler Murray is strange. It is, and like I said, I don't know if it's built up frustration over the past couple of years. Uh, like you, you guys know my discrepancies about the Arizona Cardinals. I, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury, I think he's an average coach at best. I don't think he's a I don't think he's a good coach. I think he's average. I think he's average at best. Yes, sometimes he has his moments, but when he goes up against other really good coaches, young coaches like Sean McVay, the couch I just don't see it. I just don't see similarities. I I think he's average. So I think that may be a you know a glaring problem that Arizona may have. And and as I know, and as I talked about, and as and, and as as I continue to point out, I've noticed a trend about Arizona. They start off hot over the past couple of years. They started off hot. And then somewhere in the middle, Kyler gets hurt. Then that's where you start to see regression and then they they stumble across the finish line to end the regular season. So that's a trend. But in terms of Kyler wanting an extension cuz it seems like that's what this is. Now there may be more drama that's coming out and that's leaking and I think with someone whoever it is in this or in this Cardinals organization who who leak this stuff about uh, about Kyler Mary being self-centered uh, and, and, you know, immature uh, and a finger pointer. Whoever leaked this type of news, now, this could lead and curry over to something else. But it seems as if Kyler Mary wants a extension. He wants an extension, and I see why no—I I, I don't think there's a probable cause or a probable reason as to why the Cardinals— shouldn't give Kyler an extension I I do I have noticed that over the past couple of seasons due to his play style it has led to him getting injured and we all know Kyler Mary is not the biggest dude he's not the biggest dude at all so the wear and tear there there you you know I, I would understand that you know there's some skeptics or there's you know maybe you're a bit skeptical about paying Kyla Murray, who's been hurt over the past two years. But you gotta you gotta really weigh your options. If you're Arizona, do you really have an option? And as for those reasons that I've listed, I think those reasons are pretty damn valid. He's a big part of what they have. He's your quarterback. So I think it's interesting. I think it's very interesting to see how this thing plays out with Kyle Mary. This is just once yet again, another quarterback front office drama storyline that we're going to be, con- that we're going to continue to talk about and cover over this pat, this next off season. It's going to be, it's going to be right in line with Russell Wilson and, and speaking of these characters at the court, like. Even a guy like Russell Wilson, who Russell Wilson, you guys know, I think he's a high character guy and is very selfless. But even Russell Wilson last offseason was like, ah, I'm kind of getting sacked too much. I want to see improvements. So even he got a little, even Russell, who I think is a high character guy, I think the, I think the world of Russell Wilson, and I like I said, I think he's a good leader. But even he stepped out and said, "Ah, oh, you know, uh, offensive line could be better. I'm getting hit too much." Even, even, even Russell Wilson—he <laughs> every any answer, any question that you ask him prior to last year, it was always, "Oh yeah, go Hawks, go Hawks." He'd give you the answer, "Go Hawks, go Hawks," every time, and I'm like, "Boy, Russell, Lord." Everything, every reply, every answer go Hawks, go Hawks, go Hawks. But then, like this, you know, last offseason on the Dan Patrick show, he was like, ah, I've been sacked too much, I've been hit too much. I would like to see the offensive line to be, you know, I would like to see the offensive line get a little bit better. But with Arizona, and this goes kind of for any front office, you can't expect your quarterback to be Matt Ryan and Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes. You know, those guys, they're, you can't expect everybody to be the same. That's my point. Those guys, you know, like I said, I pointed out Dak. You see how Dak handled his contract negotiation. And that took, and for, for Dak, that took forever. <laughs> his contract negotiation took forever. But he didn't do the whole social media thing. And, you know, he didn't do – he didn't take jabs at Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones and the Cowboys front office. No, no, no. He, he just handled it. He let his representatives handle it. Handled it. And, you know, you we got – we know Dak. But you can't expect everybody to be that way. And for Kyler, I think he has the leverage on his side. Um, and I, I, like I said, I see no reason why the Cardinals, the Cardinals have to pay Kyler Mary, I feel like they have to pay him. But like I said, I think this would be, this will be an ongoing conversation and story that we will continue to watch and, 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 and talk about over this next, uh, this, you know, this upcoming NFL offseason uh, that has started <laughs> officially, um, so we're probably about, seems like we're about an hour in. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Ben Simmons and James Harden trade. Uh, I, I talk about that more on my next episode, but what I am going to say this, to this, I'm going to transition to the NBA. And in terms of James Harden and Ben Simmons and the the, the swap, the virtual swap, And also looking at the situation with Russell Westbrook and the Lakers, in the NBA, I think too often front offices and executives and and whoever, I think they often worry about, oh, the the NBA is so star-driven. And it is about stars, and it is about getting stars. But at that same point, at that same token, it's also, it's just as important, if not as more important, to get the right star. You got to get the right star. So I, I, that's that's what I'm going to say. That's, um, that's what I'm going I'm to leave you guys with that, with the whole James Harden, Ben Simmons trade, uh, and the situation going on right now with the Lakers and Russell Westbrook. Uh, I'm going to leave you guys with that. It's not always about getting the star. It's about getting the right star. With the right pieces. So, I'm going to let that marinate. Uh, but without further ado, I'll let you guys go. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, like I said, we're slowly transitioning into NFL offseason. And some M- more, more NBA content is on the way. Uh, maybe I bring on no layups. <laughs> maybe I bring on no layups to talk about uh, some NBA hoops. Uh, after, you know, after the trade deadline. Uh, going into the all-star break. Looking at the second half of the season. I'll probably bring him on. Uh, so we can talk about some NBA um, some NBA content and have some NBA content coming in uh, very soon. But like I said, I will talk about the Ben Simmons and James Harden trade uh, on the next episode, uh, if nothing else crazy pops up. But without further ado, I'll let you guys go. Hope you guys enjoy. Always remember, two choices, one decision. I'm out. Peace, deuces.